in John chapter number 3, John chapter number 3, and of course, I want to encourage you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock and uh, participate in everything that you can possibly be at. It'll be a help to you. John chapter number 3, and this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. What an amazing chapter John chapter number 3 is. Of course, the uh, most well-known verse in John 3 is verse 16, and we'll certainly read that this morning as part of our text, uh, but we'll put most of our attention in another uh, uh, part of this passage. But we'll begin reading John chapter number 3 and begin reading with verse number 1. Follow along with me as I read at beginning verse number 1, and we're going to read down through uh, verse number 19. Verse 1 reads, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou heareth, hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witnesses. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe it? Believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Uh, so much is in these first 19 verses of John chapter number 3. The most well-known verse, as we've already mentioned, is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. And aren't you thankful that God loved men enough to send His Son to pay our sin debt? Uh, I'm grateful for that. But leading up to John chapter number 16, uh, there is a lot that takes place in Scripture that even sheds light on John chapter 3, verse 16. That helps keep in context John chapter 3, verse 16, which of course is the gospel in one verse of Scripture. But I want to look in the beginning of John 3, 
at a man by the name of Nicodemus. And this morning, I want to preach a message I've entitled, Lessons from the Life of Nicodemus. Lessons from the Life of Nicodemus. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray that throughout the message, may our attention be on the Word of God, may our attention be on the Spirit of God, and that He leads us and guides us, instructs us. Uh, Father, I, I have two goals in mind as I come to the uh, pulpit this morning. Uh, the, there's an obvious one of pleasing you, but uh, the two, uh, two goals in mind is one for those who are saved uh, to be reminded of how wonderful a gift of salvation is, uh, to rejoice in our salvation, uh, to realize what we get in our salvation. And Father, the second goal this morning is if there's one here unsaved, maybe this morning they're putting their faith in religious things, May the Spirit of God uh, teach them this morning. May they realize uh, that religious things cannot save any man but by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, I pray that your will will be done this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Of course, the uh, main character of Scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot read John chapter number 3 without the focus, the attention being on Jesus himself where it should be. How many times have we quoted John 3.16? How many times have uh, we heard John 3.16 quoted? How many times have we seen it uh, marked in certain places? And it's certainly probably the most well-known or famous verse, if you will, in the Scripture. But this morning, I want to put my focus on a uh, man uh, by the name of Nicodemus. Just as Jesus uh, is alive in Israel, sometimes we look at uh, uh, names in Scripture and, and we, we, we don't realize that this is a conversation that really took place. And uh, this is a discourse between the Son of God and a religious man. Uh, there was a time in history when this man, by the name of Nicodemus, who is real flesh and blood, uh, who is, as the Scripture describes him, approached the Son of God. And this morning, I believe there's much that this man Nicodemus can teach us about our own salvation. Now, there is much that this man Nicodemus can teach us about man's need of salvation. And I believe there's much this man Nicodemus can remind us that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And just as you get the context of the conversation here, we'll highlight some things this morning. I want us to be reminded today that just as Jesus was the source of salvation, when this actually took place, Jesus is still the only source of salvation. And this morning, if you're saved, first of all, you ought to rejoice in your salvation. Uh, you ought to push aside your discouragement. You ought to push aside your burdens for just a moment and just focus on the fact that you're saved. <clears throat> focus on the fact that you're forgiven. Focus on the fact that you have an eternal home waiting for you in glory. Now, those burdens are real, and, and, and the things you have to deal with is real, but, but so is your salvation. So is the forgiveness. So is the Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning, we draw our attention to this man, Nicodemus, and I would ask you this morning for the uh, duration of the, the message, and that maybe that was not the best word to use, duration uh, of the message this morning, uh, I would ask you to allow Nicodemus uh, to be uh, a, a someone who instructs us. First of all, this morning, I want to look at Nicodemus the man. Nicodemus the man, verse number one again. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. The scripture tells us that he was a Pharisee. He was a member 
of this religious sect who studied the law, who was very aware of what the prophets had prophesied and the prophets had preached, very aware of the requirements of the law. They were learned in this regard, and, and they had evolved, if you will, into a religious a class of religious elite. The more you kept the law, the more saved you were, and the law was a source of condemnation. The law was that which man was measured by. The law was that that which man in the, this uh, uh, belief system was governed by. We know that he was part of this group called the Pharisees. It means he was an instructed man. It means he was a studied man. It mean, means he was a man that achieved some notoriety. Verse number one tells us, of course his name is Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The more religious you were, the higher standing you had in society. Uh, the more you knew of the law, the more standing you had. The more, I'll put it in this terminology, religious you were. And your strict living made you, in being a part of this group called the Pharisees, means he had some standing in society. The same. Nicodemus, verse 2, came to Jesus by night. We see this man, Nicodemus, was a Pharisee. We see he was a ruler of the Jews. We also see that he came to Jesus by night. Have you ever asked the question, why would he come to him by night? Or perhaps you've just overlooked that phrase in the scripture. It would be kind of embarrassing for a man of his standing to be asking religious questions. It could be kind of embarrassing for him not to know the answer to the questions that he's asking. But I believe there is also an element of the fact that Jesus was there to fulfill the law. Jesus was there to be the sin payment of mankind. In essence, the Lord Jesus Christ was going to put religion out of business. The Lord Jesus Christ was making the, the, the Pharisees a thing of the past. No longer would man need to fulfill certain things to be saved, but just to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he comes to him by night, perhaps because of the unpopularity of Jesus among the Pharisees. I wonder today how many who are lost they do not come to Christ because he's unpopular in the circles that they run with. He's unpopular. It's not a popular thing in religion today to preach what Jesus preached. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We taught in our Sunday school lesson this morning, we pointed out that the Old Testament, you had to have a priest, you had to have a man who went on behalf of the people uh, to ask forgiveness of the sins, but Jesus being our high priest, uh, once crucified, uh, he, his blood was shed and applied uh, to our account, no longer needing a man to go on our behalf, but the Lord Jesus Christ had done so. If we look at the man Nicodemus. We see he came to Jesus by night. We know that he had a respect and a regard for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We're going to see in just a moment as we move to the second thing I want to point out that Nicodemus is a lot like a lot of people. They believe in Christ, but they don't believe on Christ. This morning as a child of God, I can tell you I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe as verse 16 tells us, he is the only begotten son of God. I believe he came, he was just as much God and just as much man and he lived, a, he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless, spotless life. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ as the God-man laid down his life for mankind. I believe he willingly shed his blood so that man might be saved. And I believe even today as we assemble together, that same blood that was shed on Calvary all those centuries ago is still blood that speaks on behalf of you and I as our source of salvation. But a lot of people believe in Christ. They've never believed on Christ. This morning as you sit in the service and you, and you hear the, you're under the sound of my voice, I would ask you to search your heart and to, Make sure it's not a, 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 a consideration of the fact that you believe in Christ, but you've never believed on Christ. Nicodemus, no doubt, could tell you a lot of things about the Messiah. No doubt he could tell you prophecies that had been prophesied by the prophets. No doubt he could tell you how an individual should live. No doubt he could tell you, according to the law, what could be done and what couldn't be done. But yet we find in this conversation, uh, he, he had not gotten to a place where he had believed on Christ. First, we see the, the, the man Nicodemus and the fact that he had, a, he, he had a need of Christ. And if this religious man in this day had a need of Christ... Religious men in our day have a need of Christ. And friend, this morning, you walked into the Emmanuel Baptist Church, and more than being a church member, you need to know that you are a child of God. And more this morning that coming and assembling with us and singing the songs that we sang and, and participating in the service that we sit in this morning, you need to know that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Being religious won't save you. Being a Baptist won't save you. Being a quote-unquote good person won't save you. Nicodemus was all of those things. Nicodemus was more religious than you, more religious than me. Nicodemus... <coughs> lived by a certain code. He was a man of standing, but yet he still, there was something inside of him. He said, I need to go. And I need to find out from this one called Jesus what it is I'm missing. Can I pause very quickly right here? It is still the need of the hour. For there to be Churches like the Emmanuel Baptist Church, where it's not about the production, it's not about the program, but if there's a man with a doubt in his heart about who Jesus is, oh, I want him to be able to walk in the doors of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. I want him to be able to find out who Jesus really is. I want him to be able to find out that he is the risen Savior. Nicodemus, the man, number two, we see Nicodemus and his need. We continue reading 
through John chapter number 3, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what must have been going through the mind of this religious man? He approaches the Son of God, and you get a sense from Scripture that he had respect of him because he makes the statement, it's obvious you're sent by God because there's no other explanation with what you're doing. He knew there was something different about Christ. And then as this conversation and Jesus answered, he said, let, 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 me, let, me, let me straighten it out for you. Verily, verily, or truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We find in verse number four the confusion of Nicodemus. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? We find the need of Nicodemus, and what was it? The conversation goes, and the terminology is used to be born again. Often we say, are you glad to be saved? What are we saved from? We're saved from our sin. We're saved from the condemnation that comes from our sin. But Jesus here uses the terminology born again. And you see how it confuses the religious man. You see how it confuses the man who has sat in classes and, and had taken instruction and, and had heard terminology and, and heard different things that this is, this is what we believe in our doctrine, if you will, but yet he had never heard the terminology born again. This was the need of Nicodemus as Christ spoke to him. Can I remind you this morning that when you found Christ, you had the same need to be born again. Many are confused by this because religion today still says if you live a certain way or if you do things the way we teach you to do or if you light a certain number of candles or you follow a certain number of patterns, if you pray some certain prayers, then you that is your salvation, that is your way to heaven. No, it's still the need of man to be born again. My goal as a not just a pastor, but as a preacher, is for men to be born again. More, I believe we live in a day where we need to be moral. I believe we ought to be holy. But to be what we should be, you must be born again. See that? question, that confusion, and stay with me this morning, the terminology born again reveals the inadequacy of the religious law. Logic with me for just a moment, do you not think Jesus recognized that this was a religious man that he was speaking to? Obviously, being God, he knew who he was speaking to, but I believe it is apparent, having just come from Israel a few weeks ago, it is very apparent who is the religious in that nation. They still wear the garb. They still wear the phylacteries. It is very obvious who the religious are in that country. Jesus, of course, knowing the heart of this man, and it would be very easy to recognize that he was a religious man, 
But the fact that he was confused in the conversation with the Savior, the need to be born again reveals the inadequacy of religious law. And friend, this morning, you can live by a code of conduct of any religion that you want to tag. Friend, it will not get you any closer to heaven because we must be born again. It also reveals the need of a supernatural act. I think Nicodemus asked a logical question. Born again? How can a man who is... How, how can one being old be born again? Is it possible to enter into your mother's womb and be born again? How can this, what you're saying be reconciled with reality. The only explanation is one of a supernatural act. Let me bring some clarification from Ephesians chapter number 2. And you can mark this reference and I'll I'll read it in just a moment, but look at what Jesus said in verse number 5 of John 3. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is giving some clarification. Except the man be born of water and of Spirit. What is being born of water? Well, everybody here has been born of water. That is the physical birth. Obviously, Nicodemus had been born of water, or he wouldn't have been there. That is the physical birth. But Jesus is pointing out the need for a spiritual birth. And as we are, he says, to be born again, to be born of water and of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, wherein in his time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, and a lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by the nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, I pause there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I read verse 4 again. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. We see the parallel with John chapter 3 in verse 16. For God so loved the world. He is because of a grace, because of a mercy. We're unworthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're unworthy of the supernatural act. We find it's the love of God. Verse 5 of Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. And you hath he quickened, verse 1, who are dead. The new birth. The new 
life by the quickening of the Spirit of God. Born of water, born of Spirit. Friend, this morning, as you sit and your heart beats in your chest, and as you're breathing and that air fills in your nostrils and fills your lungs, it is evident that you've been born of water. But friend, what is more important than even that is have you been born of the Spirit? Had there been a time when you have had the new birth? I think that's a good question and a good way of putting the question this morning. Not just have you been saved, not just are you sure you're forgiven, but have you experienced the new birth? Have you been born again? We find the lesson in the life of Nicodemus. First of all, we see the man. Second of all, we see his need. Thirdly, I want us to see Nicodemus in his question. There's a couple of questions he asked here, but I want us to focus on the one in verse number 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? This question reveals his lack of spiritual understanding. You know, there's just some things a lost man can't know. There's some things a lost man can't understand. Let me help you this morning. If you're not saved, if you've never experienced the new birth, there's very little you're going to understand at the Emmanuel Baptist Church. There's very little about that Bible. See, when I hear somebody say, I just don't understand it, one or two things is true. One, they've never been saved. They've never been born again. Because you cannot understand a spiritual book with a carnal mind. You cannot understand a holy God and and have a dead soul. Or we have not grown to a place. We have not grown in our Christian life. We're a baby Christian. But we, we we look at this and it reveals the lack of spiritual understanding. Stay with me this morning. Nicodemus knew the law. He knew the prophets. If I can use the term expert this morning, he could quote it to you. He could take and through the filter of his mind, look at somebody else's life and immediately identify where they did not measure up to the law. He had digested Volumes of Scripture. It was his life. But the question he asked revealed the fact that he did not have spiritual understanding. What does that say to you and I this morning? It reminds us that man can know a lot of, about spiritual things and still not have spiritual understanding. And you and I must be reminded of what? took place in our life when we trusted Christ as our Savior. It also reveals his need of salvation. This question, how can these things be? You know, I can answer that question this morning. If you're saved, you can answer that question. Because we have an understanding that comes from salvation. And then fourthly and finally, and this is where I wanted to get to. We've talked about Nicodemus the man, Nicodemus the need. 
Nicodemus the question. And number four, I want us to look at Nicodemus and the solution. He asked the question, how can these things be? And Christ has some answers. So we get down to verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Let me remind you that Nicodemus knew the prophets. He knew Moses. He was very aware of the life of Moses and the story. If you're not familiar with it, God in His judgment sent those fiery serpents into the midst of the children of Israel. They began to bite all of those of the children of Israel and they would die except God gave Moses the instruction to take a brazen serpent and fasten it to a pole and hold that up and anybody who looked at that serpent would be spared death from the judgment that God had sent. Jesus speaking to this religious man, Nicodemus, takes his mind back to that which he knew. He's going to connect in just a moment. John 3.16, which we know, speaks of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me stop right there and let me give the one word solution to the dilemma that Nicodemus faced. Let me give you the one word solution to the lost condition of any man. Let me remind you this morning, if you're a child of God, if you're saved, if you're redeemed, if you're born again, it was this word with which, through which you found salvation. It is the word believe. He said as Moses lifted up the serpent, he knew that. Nicodemus knew that story. Nicodemus could instruct in that story. He said just as that took place, that which you believe to be true. Nicodemus had never seen Moses. Nicodemus was not there when Moses lifted that brazen serpent. But as a Pharisee, Nicodemus had faith in something that he had never seen. He had faith that something took place that he was not an eyewitness to. And, and Christ draws the comparison just as you believe that, let me tell you what has to happen. The Son of Man has to be lifted up. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him, Nicodemus, just like you believe that happened, you need to believe that this is going to happen. You need to believe that this is the reason why it's going to happen. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice that word believeth. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, it's not, it's not, it's not just the fact that it happened. You've got to believe that it happened. 
You've got to believe why it happened. Believeth in him. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that, there's that word again, believeth on him is not condemned. But he that, there it is, believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's a lot of people today that believe in their catechism training. There's a lot of people today that believe in all the religion jargon and believe in all of these things, and then you present them with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, I just can't believe that. You mean, Nicodemus, you could believe what you have been told. You can believe what has been recorded, that those fiery serpents came into the midst of God's people and began to bite them so that they might die, and that Moses interceded on behalf of the people, and God said in his mercy, God who is rich in mercy said, if you will take this brazen serpent and you'll put it on a pole and you'll raise it up, of course, we know as Bible believers that that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being the sacrifice for men's sins. He says, you'll believe that and that, that that really happened. Now, this is what you need to believe to understand the new birth. This is what you need to believe in order to, to have salvation. That word believe this morning simply means to credit upon the authority or testimony of another. Let me just give you my personal testimony of salvation. I was just a child, but I knew as a child that I was a sinner. How did I know that I was a sinner? Because my mom always told me I was a sinner. My dad always told me I was a sinner. My Sunday school teacher told me I was a sinner. My school teacher told me I was a sinner. Matter of fact, everybody I ran into told me I was a sinner. I don't know what that says about me, but I knew I was a sinner. But there was a moment when it clicked in my mind. I believed in God because I had been taught God. I believed the Bible was the Word of God because that's the way I had been taught. I believed that Jesus was real. I believed that He really died on a cross. I didn't witness it. I wasn't an eyewitness to it. But all of a sudden, my need met the solution for my need. The realization... The dots were connected. I believed certain things that I'd never seen. But in the light of the fact that I had to believe that in order for my sins to be forgiven, I had to believe that Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God, lived a sinless life, gave His life, shed His blood, paid my sin debt, rose again from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. I had to believe that which I'd never seen. I had to believe on Him. That's what we mean when we say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to credit upon the authority or testimony of another. When I fell under conviction as a child, when I put my faith and trust as a child of God, I wasn't taking the word of the teacher. I wasn't taking the word of another man. I believed on Christ and what he said would get me to heaven. 
I've never, to my knowledge, ever asked anybody to believe me when it comes to salvation. We believe the Word of God because we believe it's the Word of God. But don't believe on my credit. Don't believe on my ability. That word believe means to credit upon the authority or testimony of another. When I believed that Jesus Christ was my Savior, when I put my faith in Him, my belief through faith, you say, you never saw Him be crucified. Oh, no, I didn't. But by faith, I believe He has been crucified. By faith, I believe the tomb is empty. By faith, I believe that I have been cleansed. I have been washed by His blood. By faith, I believe what I taught in Sunday school this morning, that Christ, as my high priest, paid my sin debt, and He took His own blood into the presence of God, and He applied His own blood to the mercy seat in heaven. And that eternal blood, that perfect blood, speaks on the behalf of mankind today and says, Redeem, paid for, bought, and by the love of God, He sent His Son. So it's by faith, but belief. This morning, there are many who believe what the Catholic Church tells them. What does that mean by definition? It means to credit upon the testimony or the authority of the Catholic Church. That's not good enough for me. Can I say there are some who even believe on the Baptist Church? That's to say that I put my credit, my authority on the Baptist Church. This morning, I don't need to be blessed by the Pope. Why in the world do we look to a, as a sinner, look to another sinner for our source of salvation? Say, Pastor, did you just say the Pope is a sinner? Oh, absolutely. And if he doesn't recant and he doesn't look to Christ, the Pope will die and go to hell, just as any man. You can take whatever religious tag you want to take, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, you name it, whatever your religious tag, nobody comes to the Father but by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is not a narrow God, but the salvation is narrow. There's one way, but anybody who walks that way can know salvation. What Jesus is saying, and don't miss this, this ought to give you encouragement in your salvation. You as a Christian, you don't have to live wondering if you're saved. You don't have to live hoping you're saved. But through faith, you put your credit upon the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't get saved because of me. I didn't get saved because of my credit. I got saved through faith because I decided to believe on Christ, put my hope on Him, my credit on Him. What Jesus is saying is that whosoever puts all of their hope in Him, who is Him? The Son of Man, when He's raised to heaven. You put your hope in that, not your hope in religion, not your hope in what you've been taught, not your hope in the law. 
Verse 16 reminded again, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Have you believed on him? You're not condemned. But that verse goes on to say, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Is it because God is not a loving God? No, verse 16 says, for God so loved the world. Book of Ephesians that we read reminds us that God who is rich in mercy and love. So we are not condemned because he is unloving. We see the verse in verse 18 because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19 gives clarity to that word condemned. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. God does not send anyone to hell. Man chooses to go there. Some have a hard time reconciling that statement in their mind. For God so loved the world. For Christ is saying to Nicodemus, you can't get to the Father, you can't get the new birth unless you put your belief in the right place. And he reminds him of this in a few times, in a few different places. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So how is it that some and many, and throughout time multitudes, will spend an eternity in that horrible place called hell? It's because they have refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not matter how sincere man is. It does not matter how they, what they have been instructed. Jesus said, My heavenly Father loved man enough that he sent his Son to die for the whole world. It's not a matter of this, this morning of whether or not Christ came. It's not a matter of, not of whether or not he died and was resurrected again. I believe by faith all of that took place. It's a matter of where you put your belief. Everybody believes something. It's a matter of where you put it. You're saved, if you're saved this morning, it's because you put your belief in the right place. If you're lost this morning... It's because your belief is in the wrong place. There are many today you talk to them and you talk to them about their salvation, their need of salvation. You say, well, I'm, I believe that I'm good enough. I believe that I can work my way. I believe I can do enough good works to balance out the scale. I just don't have that much faith to believe that I could do something that would equal the perfection of the Son of God. Well, I learned in my religious school, whatever it is, you'd put any denominational label on it you want to put on it. 
And I believe because of that. Or Pastor New, I just don't believe I have the faith that you have to believe that Jesus was enough. But yet you got enough faith to believe that you are. This morning there's some lessons that we can be reminded of from the life of Nicodemus. The man. We can learn from the man. We can learn from the question. Most of all, wants to be reminded about the faith. Everybody's got belief. Where, you, where, where have you put it? This morning, I want you to be encouraged. If you're saved, be encouraged that your faith is not in you. And even as your pastor this morning, your faith is not in me. Your faith is not in whether or not you're a Baptist. Although I think the Bible says we should be. The faith is not in this person or that person, but I've put my faith in Christ. I've put my belief on Him. This morning, if you're believing in anything other than Christ and Christ alone, according to the Word of God, you're not saved. According to the Word of God, God sent light into this world. You're hanging on to darkness because you like darkness more than a light. Boy, would you accept Christ today? In just a moment, we're going to go to our invitation. It's an opportunity for Christians to reflect on what Christ has done for you. An opportunity for Christians to be reminded, oh, the devil is good at reminding us of where we failed, isn't he? And friend, it's good for all of us to be reminded from time to time as we look around the room to what I believe is the greatest people, collection of people on God's planet. I, I believe this is the greatest church that somebody could belong to. But you know what you're looking at this morning as you look around? A bunch of failures. Because in our best, we come up short to where we need to be. This size crowd, there's Christians who failed this past week. If you're not careful, you'll let the devil pile on that discouragement. And sometimes convince you that you're not even saved. But you know what? My belief's not on the devil. My belief's not on me. My belief's in a book that tells me that there's a God who is rich in His mercy, sent His Son to die on the cross. And I put my belief in Him. If you've never done that, this morning, let me plead with you to do that. It's not going to matter. It's, you're not going to be able to say, I just don't believe because you believe in something. It might be true that if you leave your lost, you just say, I'm not going to believe in him. May this, this morning, may you get that settled if you have any doubts. Father, I pray that.